Hey everybody, welcome to AST Radio. Uh, I'm your host, Matt, and uh, I'm here in the Mondrian Hotel with uh, Jim Gaffigan. Thanks for being here, Jim. Well, it's uh, it's great to or be here with you. I, I should say thanks for having me here. I, I, you know, it's an honor to share this <laughs> superficial room with someone. <laughs> this is, uh, just to paint the picture for people, this is, like you said when I walked in, the most pretentious hotel in the yes, world. Yes, it is. Uh, there's, there's no art on the wall, but they painted a square that says, Think... Uh, over there, <laughs> yeah, it's it's really um, you know you get a sense that somebody's girlfriend or boyfriend really wanted to do some interior <laughs> decorating, <laughs> and the other person in the relationship is like, ah, all right, uh, you, you can design the, some of the bedrooms, right? Uh, very clean. Everything's kind of either white or gray or off white. Yeah, it's yeah, it's very pale. It's a very pale room. That was kind of appropriate for you. It, it all goes back you to... Are, you're the pale force. <laughs> I'm cashing in on all things pale. <laughs> Is that, do you get a rate? Do you get a special rate of this? I should. I think, yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs> I think it would be great if there was a shade of pale named after me. <laughs> That's something to aim for. Yeah, your own glibbing you Gaffigan? There's, there's a shade of pale. A shirt you can get that's Gaffigan pale. It's got a little pink and it fits a pudgy white guy I bet you could get I bet J. Crew will, will work on that you have to get to a certain level and then all the offers will come in I don't know I think I might have to do something crazy like kill the president or <laughs> you know. yeah that, well that's another you way you went gaff again <laughs> you look like gaff again um, alright so uh, I kind of wanted to go back and, and talk about your, uh, your early days uh, you grew up in Indiana right grew up in Indiana what kind of uh, situation was it? A like, like real rural area, or no? It was it was outside of Gary, mm-hmm. um, which is you know I I always describe it as that's where they make the poo smell because <laughs> it's one of uh, the places where there's a stench of sulfur. Mm-hmm. And um, but northwest Northwest Indiana is uh, it's called the the region the Calumet region, mm-hmm. and there's the poor Calumet Indians. There's not like even one to open a casino or anything. <laughs> But um, it's kind of this strange, odd uh, place because it's it's right next to Chicago, but mm-hmm. it's not even acknowledged, uh, you know, as being part of Chicago. Mm-hmm. It's or being even a suburb of Chicago. Right. And you know, when I do shows in Chicago, I'll say I'm from Indiana, and there's always a little bit of a look like, "Where's that?" <laughs> because it's just you know, people in Chicago they would. They'll go up north to Wisconsin, mm-hmm. or they'll drive through Indiana to go to Michigan. Mm-hmm. But they they don't acknowledge know. it as a state. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it is <laughs> definitely Indiana is the the uh, the dirty secret of <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> so you were close enough to to Chicago where you would go in, and, and uh, did you ever go in and, and see comedy shows when you were young? Um, I don't remember seeing any comedy shows. You know, it's also, you know, it, the the comedy boom happened really when I was like, you know, in college. There was mm-hmm. there was some comedy clubs, but it's very much. Um, it was it, you know it was a strange area where I grew up in some ways because there was, there you know I could go to a party, one night and it would be like in a, a trailer. Mm-hmm. And then, um, 
so it was a little white trash. Mm-hmm. And then one, another night, I could be at a party, and it would be, uh, you know, I'd sit on a, a stack of hay. I remember this weekend, <laughs> very, I was like, I'm sitting on a stack of hay. And Chicago was like a half an hour away, and yeah. I spent a lot of my uh, high school years trying to convince my friends to go into Chicago, but it was, you know, it was the big city. And yeah. they're like, I don't know, you go in there, you get in trouble. Right. You know, and so it was kind of this... You know this area where it was rural and there was steel mills and then there was a large city in the distance mm-hmm. it was a beautiful place <laughs> <laughs> uh so what were your what were your connections to comedy as a kid what did you like watching on tv yeah. or movies or stuff uh, you know i remember watching um you know when you're a little kid you'll watch anything mm-hmm. you know what i mean so i remember watching uh like dick van dyke reruns mm-hmm. and um you know, like, I remember liking Welcome Back, Cotter, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I was, you know, I, my, that was kind of my, you know, Bad News Bears was, like, <laughs> right. one of my first favorite movies, and then yeah. the second Bad News Bears was, like, the first movie that I was like, oh, my God, they make bad movies. <laughs> I couldn't right. believe it. Or maybe it was the third one, I don't know. But, um, you know, my interest in comedy kind of... Uh, you know, I remember watching The Tonight Show, uh, you know, as a very little kid and, and seeing um, whether it was like, uh, I think I remember Phyllis Diller on there or like mm-hmm. Joan Rivers. I think it was, a, you know, a female comedian and just kind of like um, the, you know, the amazing effect, you know, in a very short period they had on this show that I perceived as being very boring. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, well, that's the only interesting part of this show that <laughs> right. my parents are somehow allowing me to watch. Yeah. But yeah. then again, when you're a kid, you know, like I would watch The, the Odd Couple and I'd be like, I don't even, you know, this isn't funny or interesting, <laughs> right. but I'm watching it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so but, you, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, did, did you ever uh, listen to comedy records? Like, did you get into yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, I definitely listened to, uh, you know, Bill Cosby, you know, I had a friend that had, you know, the Bill Cosby albums. Mm-hmm. You know, his parents had the Bill Cosby albums. And then um, the, you know, uh, uh, now I'm blanking on his name, but uh, the seven words you can't say on television. Oh, George Carlin, yeah. Which was, you know, which was kind of earth-shattering yeah. kind of thing. But I also remember, you know, like a big, huge, and I'm talking like when I was a really young kid, but like the first person where I was like, that guy's insanely funny was, was Jonathan Winters. I remember mm-hmm. seeing Jonathan Winters and being really blown away and like consistently, you yeah. know, uh, you know, over the years that I would see him, you yeah. know, just that it was, it was very organic and it was, you know, but there were, there were jokes in there, but it was very kind of, um, you know, a lopsided point of view. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, kind of hidden b- behind a persona that's, mm-hmm. you know, obviously not his. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so you, I mean, that's that sounds a little like what you do when you have sort of straightforward observational humor and then sort of a subversive yeah. idea running underneath it. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting talking about comedy because I sometimes sit there and, you know... Uh, I think for a couple of years, because, you know, I mean, I honestly wasn't somebody that was like, saw Jonathan Winters or saw David Letterman and was like, I'm going to be a comedian. Uh-huh. 
Because where I grew up, you know, there was no one in the entertainment industry. And if you said you were a comedian, you might as well say that, you know, you wanted to be a giraffe. <laughs> you know what I mean? It would just be kind of like, okay. Yeah. You know, and, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting because the whole Jonathan Winters thing, it is very, you know, that whole, there is something there. It's like maybe I have unconsciously kind of had that, you know, the Jonathan Winters kind of just the strange point of view of these characters mm-hmm. that he has, yeah, you know, where they're yeah. not they're not necessarily agreeable people, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Yeah. So, um, but okay. you know, that being said, you know, it's like I've done so many, you know, I've talked about comedy, and you know, everyone's like, "You're from Indiana." Letterman's from Indiana. I remember watching Letterman in high school and thinking that guy got out. You know, mm-hmm. and it, there's kind of like this mythical figures. When you grow up in Indiana, and one of them's Letterman, and the other one is uh, Mellencamp, mm-hmm. and then Bobby Knight, and then yeah. you know, <laughs> the, you know, there's you know some here and there, but yeah, yeah. So what what did you you did you go to college in Indiana? No, I, well, I went to Purdue for a year, mm-hmm. and then I transferred, and I went to uh, Georgetown, okay, DC. But you hadn't even thought about doing stand up at that point, right? I you know I you know I was kind of a class clown and mm-hmm. stuff like that, but um, I was you know raised in a family where it doesn't it doesn't have the same meaning as today. Like my parents were not socially conservative people, mm-hmm. but they were conservative, meaning um, pursuing security. Yeah, like in my father's family, <laughs> you know, we'd probably been in the country. You know, I don't know, 200 years, but mm-hmm. like as coal miners and stuff like that. Yeah. So he was the first one to go to college. So the whole notion of security or uh, wearing a, a tie to work mm-hmm. is a really um, important thing to have. Yeah. Kind yeah. of like, you you know, you, the, the thing that's unappealing about working in a factory is that they can lay you off. You know? right. right. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of romanticizing a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah, so the so there was a lot of there was not a lot of sense of hey, yeah, do whatever you want. It was more like get a good job. Yeah, and, yeah, it was yeah. definitely kind of um, you know seek out security. You know, and it's not like my parents grew up in the depression or they were right. poor or anything like that. But it was just kind of like don't be an idiot, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? You don't yeah. want to be like sixty and uh, you know a bartender or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now, you know, my point of view is, like, you know, I know 60-year-old guys that are bartenders, and they're pretty happy. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, it's, it was just kind of this mentality of, you know, it's, it's, it's a very American mentality, though. It's like, I hate my job, but I got a motorboat. Yeah. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I hate my job, but you know what? I'm going to play golf for a week. Right. You know, like, ah. Yeah, the perks, uh, the perks can be uh, alluring for people. Yeah. So, uh, so what did you go to, to college to study, or what did you... I studied, um, you know, I was... There was definitely... Um, I'm the youngest of six kids, mm-hmm. and uh, my brothers and sisters before me had kind of, you know... Um, this shows you the different age we live in. My brother studied terrorism, and terrorism at that time, like, he, he uh, had a focus on, um, you know, these Basque separatists mm-hmm. in, in Spain and he graduated and he couldn't get a job because he was like, I'm a terrorist expert and I'm like, alright, loony bag <laughs> but now, of course, you know you know, yeah. of course he doesn't use that <laughs> degree at all, but uh, 
So there was a lot of, but I was definitely pressured to to study finance or accounting. Mm -hmm. I studied finance, mm -hmm. so, and I hated it, but I kind of secretly thought that once I was paid for it, I would enjoy it. But you know, I, I you know I got a job out of college, and I remember the night before I graduated, I I was at some, you know, bar talking to like you know everyone, you know, senior year, everyone's like, what are you doing next year? What are you doing? And I had like a job. Uh, as a, a guy who would calculate legal claims. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm not like... Uh, a, the weird thing is, I'm not really like a detailed person when it comes to grammar or numbers, so mm -hmm. I was horrible at it. <laughs> but uh, I said to a friend of mine, I was like, yeah, I secretly, you know, I want to be an actor and a comedian, but, you know, everyone wants to do that. And I remember she looked at me and she goes, no, not everyone does. And I'm like, look, it's all right. I mean, I know every, you know, I yeah, literally thought yeah. everyone wanted to be a comedian yeah. or an actor, right. but you know, you know, like I just thought everyone was kind of like dead poet society, <laughs> you know, like that kid, you know, it's like, right. I thought everyone was like that. And she was like, no, I would never want to do that. <laughs> and so that kind of planted the seed a little bit. Yeah. So you hadn't done any acting in school, or I had done a play in high school, but I, I went to a small high school, hundred students mm -hmm. for the, all four years. So we all kind of did everything. There mm -hmm. wasn't the typical like theater club or anything like that. And then in college, I hosted some variety show, which essentially, you know, it was kind of a big deal at my school. But it just essentially involved me being drunk so that I could have the <laughs> confidence to do it. So. Yeah. That was some of the extent of my performing background. Okay, so uh, so did the job take you to New York? Is that how you got to New York? No, I, I, I the job took me to Tampa, uh -huh. and um, I literally, you know, was you know, I would say close. To, I mean, I was very lost. You know, not like I was doing heroin or anything, but I was like, <laughs> I was like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I yeah. hate this job. <clears throat> you know, I hate the ins insincerity that exists in the business world. Mm -hmm. How, um, you know, there's a certain kind of, you know, uniformity of behavior and point of right. view. And um, and it was driving me crazy. And so I, you know, a friend helped me get a job in advertising in New York. Like, I, I remember thinking, I didn't know, um, I had always wanted to live in New York City uh, ever since I watched, like, The Odd Couple. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, ooh, hey, I don't know what... The, people are watching the show for but it looks like an interesting place <laughs> not funny but i like the location <laughs> yeah. and so uh you know i ended up in new york working in advertising and then um and then you know that kind of opened but even when i got that job in advertising you know my dad was kind of like wow you're going into that crazy business <laughs> you're like whoo that's so, a risky one do you think it, it took that many years because you were sort of trying to Peel back the layers of like what your what your parents had sort of uh, set you up for, what they expected. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think also. I mean, but I also had an advantage. I think um, in that I had um, the the entertainment industry was. I knew how bad corporate America was to work in. I knew mm -hmm. how boring and really how, for me personally. The security of like a nine to five job held no allure, mm -hmm. so I didn't have. Because sometimes you know I've had friends that you know went to college for theater, and you know they kind of waver and they go, you know I'm smart, I could go to law school. It's like yeah. I did all that stuff beforehand, right. so I was like, no, I never want to do that. Right. It's like you know, there's 
you know, there's enough business situations where I'm like, and I can kiss ass as well as anybody else, but there's enough business situations where I'm like, uh, like the the notion of playing golf with, <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't play golf, but mm-hmm. the notion of playing golf with someone that you're just trying to schmooze it sounds terrifying to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like it was like less frightening for you to consider like going into show business and yeah. performing yeah. in front of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what finally did it? What finally got you on stage? Uh, you know, I mean, some of it is, uh, I would say, uh, I, you know, I got to New York and I was doing some improv classes because I, um, you know, some of it was because I had this fear of public speaking, actually. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and somebody had recommended that. But I had also loved improv and, you know, um, just kind of wanted to always do something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, the notion of a second city was also something that was really cool. And, you know, my high school, Chris Farley went there for, um, <laughs> I think, a year and he got kicked out. But, wow. So... Th- he was already in Second City, so there was kind of like, ooh. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's... Um, but so I kind of did uh, a stand-up seminar kind of class thing as a dare mm-hmm. with this other guy who was in this improv company thing, class structure, you know, level mm-hmm. three, level two, and right, like 3.5. And he... Um, but he bailed. But I did it. At, you know, I, I got an opportunity to do stand up in a very safe environment where mm-hmm. it was like mostly friends, and uh, you know, it, it went all right. You know, I mean, it's actually on my DVD. You know, it's <laughs> right. like people see it and they go, "That wasn't your first time." But it was like it was in front of like the nicest. You know, like mm-hmm. like I always think of like some Jewish comedians. It's like you're so lucky. It's like your first set is when you're 13 at your bar mitzvah. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, yeah. all the Gentiles. We have to wait until we really get the balls. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's uh, but it was a very supportive environment and, mm-hmm. um, and fun. And you know, I went on stage with a, a you know 10 other people that were doing stand up for the first time too. Mm-hmm. So it's like. I mean, in some ways, that's ideal, but it's yeah. also, you know, all the things that you learn in comedy, you know, people can tell you them, but you just, they, they literally have to be, like, literally punched in your face for you to <laughs> realize them, you know what yeah, I mean? It's yeah. kind of like, you, you know, you turn 30, or, you know, and you realize, oh, you know, my parents were right, I just didn't hear <laughs> yeah. some of the shit they were saying to me. Right. So, uh, so did you, you found the classes kind of helpful beyond just giving you a place to do it? It was, it was, it was uh, really a security blanket, mm-hmm. you know. What I mean, and it was, um, and it was some of it was, uh, I think, some dealing with some hesitation, you mm-hmm. know, of kind of like. But essentially, I think comedy classes are kind of, kind of silly in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's, it's you know it's kind of like when you see those commercials where they're like the guy's like we can consolidate your debt you know that guy's ripping people <laughs> off you yeah, know what I mean yeah. hey do you own a house <laughs> I could get a piece of it right right so but and I knew that you know after the you know after the first you know couple hours of it but mm-hmm. I was like you know what fine this will make it easier yeah you know what I mean it's just like an easy you know just putting one foot in the pool mm-hmm. but of course I just loved it so much and. You know, and then I just kind of dove in, and you know, it was the the early '90s, so it was kind of like the end of the the um, 
that 80s boom right. where like anybody's a comedian so they were closing all these clubs and there was this overabundance of comedians in New York so it was there were a lot of like um, hell gigs I mean everyone every comic says that but it was like you know it was a lot of like poetry readings <laughs> right. I would do stand up there or I would try you know and because of the environment I, it would affect how I would write and mm-hmm. the material I would do mm-hmm. and then even before like the whole thing of, of things being considered alternative they you know th- you know it would these performing arts spaces mm-hmm. you know um, on the Lower East Side you know, uh, you know I, I can't even remember one of these names but surf, um, God, I can't remember. It, but that was like a huge place where I would, you know, because I couldn't get any spots, so mm-hmm. I would go and I would do these characters at this place that was run by this one couple, and they had a kid there, and it was like, they're like, you know, it's our theater, and here's our daughter, and here's some <laughs> beer, and let's do some characters. Wow. And it was pretty amazing, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, um... And, you know, almost the alternative scene kind of clobbered rooms like that because then it was like, it, you know, not that it became trendy, but it was definitely more of a destination, whereas mm-hmm. there it was kind of like the insane 80-year-old guy who wanted to write <laughs> monologues. Right. And, the, you know, the you know like kind of like when there was that really hip beat poetry before, like, this recent poetry wave, you know, yeah. like, like the Henry Rollins... Yeah. You know, and there was another woman that was really... It was kind of, like, cool to be this poet. Right. <laughs> so they were also there. So it was okay. definitely a, an eclectic group. So doing characters, uh, what kind of stuff did you do? I did, you know, I did a, you know, a character very similar to the inside voice of an old lady. I did a, a football coach, mm-hmm. which was... Which is kind of... Uh, just different characters or different kind of scenes mm-hmm. and they were but they were kind of New York scenes kind of like I would play like somebody at the UPS store mm-hmm. that just wouldn't do anything necessarily but it was definitely one of those environments where if you came in and you just did observational stuff they would be like get out of here because mm-hmm. again you know it was like during that, it was like right after that time period where like A and E, every show was like Caroline's Comedy Hour yeah, yeah, yeah. and A and E Evening at the you know mm-hmm. Evening at the Mediocrity Fest. <laughs> and of course, I was dying to get on those shows. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what? Did, uh, so you were still working as an, in advertising yeah. at that point. Um, yeah. How long did it take before you could uh, make a living doing stand up? Gosh, you know, I, you know, it's weird. I started with, you know, a couple other comics, and, um, you know, like Greg Geraldo, he was a lawyer, and I worked in advertising, mm-hmm. and we were kind of like, ooh, I don't know what we're doing, but <laughs> let's give it a whirl. Yeah, yeah. But he quit his job and kind of, like, dove in, mm-hmm. and I just ended up uh, keeping my day job, you know, going to acting classes and then doing the late spots, mm-hmm. and I just did that for a couple of years, but... I never really gave up my day job just because I didn't want to um, be in a situation where I would have to go to Jersey to go to a bar yeah. to um, for 50 bucks where I was just going to eat it. Mm-hmm. I'd rather like, you know, that's not to say that I didn't take the train out to Long Island to do, uh, you know, uh, 
you know, an open mic there. Right. But it was in a in a in a, an environment where I could do material, mm-hmm. whereas opposed to like the boxing matches of some of the one nighters. Right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I I didn't I didn't stop my day job until I started really making money in commercials. But I was literally you know, it's a, it's a Dave Attell joke. But I was woke up. They woke me up at work and fired me. <laughs> it's literally, you know. And I remember Attell doing that joke, and I'm like, yeah, you know, that happened to me. But it's your joke? How does that work? And, uh, wake up, you're fired. So. Were you tired from being out doing a show the night before? Yeah, yeah. No, it was definitely, um, you know, I would work in advertising, you know. I was trying to get laid off, to mm-hmm. be honest. And then, um,. You know, I do you know the Meisner technique, you know, acting program, you know, which was two nights a week for like four hours, mm-hmm. and then I would do spots after that, and then it would be like one or two, and I would, uh, you know, go home and then supposedly get to work at nine, but you know, yeah. stroll in there a lot of times at like, you know, ten. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, well, "What are you doing?" I'm like, uh, I'm sorry. And they're like, you're always late. And I'm like, yeah, why don't you lay me off? But, uh, yeah. But uh, so I was just sleep deprived for a bunch of years. Right. So you were taking acting classes, and then it seemed like uh, you got a lot of acting work sort of before the stand-up really took off. Is that true? Or just yeah, at least yeah, commercial yeah. work? No, no. I mean, I would say, um, yeah, no. I mean, I was the... the uh, the last of my peer group to to get like a late night spot mm-hmm. on a TV, you know. But I definitely, you know, the commercials were. It was great, you know, to do those commercials, and also, you know, there were some of them were some pretty fun campaigns, and you know, as an actor, it's like even getting in a commercial, you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, like you have this fantasy. I'm on a conveyor belt. I never have to audition anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so. I, I did get pretty lucky with that, but and it is weird because you know I would work on you know some things or some movies, and there would be comedians on there that were like I remember I worked on this movie Final, <clears throat> and Dennis Leary was the lead, and there wasn't a huge cast. I played kind of this um, intimidating um, hospital worker, mm-hmm. and uh, and then it was like I remember the last week he was like he was like you're a comedian why didn't you tell me you're a comedian and I was like well you know yeah I didn't want to like be like hey Dennis how you doing I'm a comedian also because uh, right. there's there's a certain amount of you know anyone can announce that they're a comedian right and there's a certain amount of like if they're not comedian they're crazy you right. know what I mean right yeah I did a sh- one show once and uh, you're like it's just a red flag, right? You don't you don't want to be that guy who. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to be the guy in. Um, so, uh, what was I going to ask? What what at what point did uh, did Welcome to New York happen? Um, that happened uh, as a result of, you know, as I said, I was like, you know, Geraldo had done Conan tons of times, Ian Bag had done Conan tons of times, you know, and. Uh, and, you know, like, Attell and Louis C.K. and Todd Berry, were, they were kind of, like, the the class above us, mm-hmm. you know, in New York. And so those guys had all done all these, and Mark Marin, And um, and so it was, like, one of those things where I kept auditioning for Conan and Letterman, and 
you know, like I would either have a horrible set or it would be a horrible audience. And it was just like one of those things where I was like, I'm never going to get one of these late night spots. But mm -hmm. I finally, I was, I auditioned for, um, there was like an audition for Letterman and Conan on the same night. And I think, you know, uh, I ended up getting, you know, Letterman, which was huge because I was from Indiana, and also doing a late night spot in some ways shuts a lot of people up. Yeah. Meaning, like, well, he's a comedian, but, right. you know. Well, like, so, you wouldn't, might not be as embarrassed to tell Dennis Leary that you're a comic if you could say, yeah, I was on yeah. some Conan or. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it's just a very simple explanation that. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, also making a living as a comedian is not something that I don't think anybody really pursues as like, yeah, I'm going into stand-up for money. <laughs> right. Then I'm going to be a phonograph repairman, <laughs> you know. Um, so, uh, but I ended up, you know, getting it, and <clears throat> I was, you know, thrilled and, uh, you know, really, you know, so, you know, so kind of ready, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, it wasn't one of those things where I was super intimidated by it. I was like, I'm dying, you know, like, and, you know, so I ended up doing the show, and then afterwards, they were like, um, Rob Burnett wants to talk to you, and uh, he was like, you know, Dave and I want to do, a, a develop a TV show with you, and I was like, it's just insane, yeah. you know, it was like, and um, in some ways, that kind of spoiled me, too, because I was like, all right, well, wh when when is some huge megastar <laughs> gonna want to do a deal with me or something? <laughs> right. But uh, so that that led to Welcome to New York. And uh, how long have you been doing stand up at that point? Like maybe eight years or something. Or? I think I think it might have been eight or nine. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's so funny. You start stand up and you're always like, well, I've only been doing it six months. Yeah. And then you you get around seven years and you're like, well. I'm just not going to talk about how long I've been doing it. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And, but now I've been doing it, I think, 15 years, so I don't really, you know, now I'm almost turning into, like, you know, some ancient, you know, guy. Right. But, uh, yeah, so it was it was definitely a, a, a big to-do, but I wasn't getting even spots, in, weekend spots in the city when I got Letterman. Mm -hmm. It was, um, it was... You know, I mean, in some of the smaller rooms, I was, get, you know, getting some weekend spots, and there were people that were really good to me, but there's, you know, some of it is, I guess you're never really respected where you start, but also, you know, New York City, the last thing they need is another white guy. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, you know what? We need a white guy on this show. <laughs> yeah. It's like, because I'd be, like, not competing with, but, like, if Louis C.K.'s there, or Dave Attell's there, or Mark Maron is there, they're going to put those guys on the show. Right, right. So. so what was the experience of getting that TV show uh, on the air like? I, I think I've heard you say that obviously it was a thrill, but at the same time they weren't really using your material or they weren't looking yeah. to you to generate ideas. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting, the whole um, TV process. And, uh, you know, I didn't, you know, I had reoccurred, uh, like I had had bit parts on TV shows prior to it, but what was so weird about Welcome to New York was I didn't realize how, um, you know, there's something naive about, because there's nothing linear or logical about the entertainment world in general, but I think stand-up has this 
this kind of meritocracy inherent to it. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like people can say, hey, I don't like comedian A, but if he goes out there and he kills, you can't say that he's an empty suit completely. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Right. You can say, hey, it's more style than substance. But so, I, you know, there was this deal that, uh, you know, and I had come up with this idea and, you know, it was because, you know, and the idea was that I was going to be this Midwesterner in New York. I wanted it to be kind of an inverted Woody from Cheers, mm-hmm. you know, where, like, people think he's the idiot, but he's actually the smart guy, mm-hmm. which is not indifferent from how some of my experience in New York was, kind mm-hmm. of like, you know, just the notion and the perception that people, you know, some New Yorkers have. Right. You know, like a tell used to always be like, so when did you go to your first clan meeting when you were 12? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's right. like there's the perception that exists. And so, you know, I met with these writers. Uh, it's so weird to meet with these slew of writers. But, you know, you know, it's not like they're, you know, any of the, any writer in, is going to turn anything down. They're like, oh, uh, Letterman's doing a TV show? Yeah, I'll do it. Right. So you don't know, there's nothing sincere about, you know, there's no one sitting there going, you know, I don't know how I would do this. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. And because there's innumerable opportunities. But, so I met with the, the his, uh, writing team, and um, they were from the Midwest, and I think they really got it. And they're, you know, I feel like there's something kind of, um, uh, almost kind of like a sardonic cynicism to like, um, you know, Midwesterners, almost kind of, their sense of humor, whether I think you see it a little bit in like Letterman or even Hugh Fink, mm-hmm. it's just kind of like, or even Louis Anderson, kind of like, yeah, well, it's kind of like, well, why, why, you know, the people that settled, you know, my ancestors, why the fuck they stay here? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's right. like, and um, so I thought they got they got it, and you know, but it's you know, it's chaos developing a show, and some of it is. Just, you know, the notion of someone else writing for you. I mean, I write everything with my wife, but someone else writing for you is, it's really, it's really surprising how you kind of assume, and maybe it's an arrogant thing, you assume that somebody would understand some of your point of view, but mm-hmm. people don't. They, they don't, they don't really give a shit. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Right. They're like, hey, I'm writing a show. I'm a writer. I've wanted to yeah. write a show. Yeah. And so the show was, a, it was good. But it didn't really have my point of view. But what shocked me also was that I wasn't allowed to contribute. I mean, the the really amazing thing as a comedian, and I'm sure a lot of them would tell you this, is like you're on a set of a a comedy and you're playing a character that's supposedly similar to you or almost identical to you. That's why they give it to you. Right. And then you might have an idea... And they're like, they look at you like, uh, yeah, why don't you let us come up with the writing? And you're like, that's how I make my living. <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so it's, yeah. but I mean, and I feel like it's different with a film because with a film, they know where this whole thing's going. But in TV, you know, it's such a writer's medium. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's not to be, that's not to say that I don't think that there's a, an understandable reason why the people that write television shows don't keep the the control of the authority because otherwise it's just going to be every actor's like hey what about if i and then they pitch something that's just a woody allen movie yeah yeah what if i was doing this (laughs) and so 
But it's a little different when it's a stand-up and the show is is built around your persona to some extent. That's what I think. I mean, but, you know, and I've, you know, you know, we all know comedians that have had shows and it's, it's, and the shows are horrible. And you're like, that that guy's funny. What what happened here? You know what I mean? And some of it is, it's, I think it's just hard, it's hard to do a good TV show. But my whole thing with Welcome to New York, it was a good show, I thought. And it wasn't embarrassing, which I think is a huge accomplishment for mm-hmm. a comedian. But, you know, it was one of those things where I remember they tried to get me in the writer's room, you know, and they were like, no. And I'm like, well, who's it? can I get Geraldo to write for me? And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, all right. Wow. You know, but some of that is, you know, I was probably naive at the time, but it, it really surprised me. Yeah. Yeah. But coming out of that, uh, that must have boosted your career in general, though, right? Just having a, a network show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, yeah, definitely. I mean, some of us, I, you know, I don't want to like say that it didn't. It totally did, and you know, it also gave me um, credentials, uh, you know, in the acting world, mm-hmm. which was cool. But um, it wasn't. I don't. You know. It. You know. Letterman and Rob Burnett definitely changed my career. But I feel like Welcome to New York. It's weird because you know there's so many people that don't see those shows. But you know, I remember I was with my wife and we were going out to dinner, and um, and she turned to me and she goes, "You know that Welcome to New York's been on like six times." I go, "I don't know if anyone's seen it." And then um, that same night, two people came up to us, came up to us, and one guy goes, "You're the Rolling Rock guy." <laughs> and then I was like, "Yeah." And then another time, the guy was like, "Hey, hey, I just saw your show." And I go, "Oh, wow, wow." He goes, "Yeah." And he was describing the Drew Carey show. <laughs> so it was like, you know what I mean? It was like you made it to the level of being misrecognized. <laughs> yeah. So it was. Um, I'm sorry to make so much noise, but yeah. I don't know, for the weird. listeners, there's a pack of gum, Jimmy's. nicotine gum. Oh, okay. the nicotine gum. How long have you been uh, off? That I've been, you know, it's embarrassing. I've about eight years. <laughs> okay, I'm just completely addicted to gum. If I didn't chew the nicotine gum, I'd probably be, you know, 300 pounds. <laughs> I have a friend who's been taking the lozenges for about three and a half years. Really? Yeah, and he was so proud of himself for quitting cigarettes. It's like, well, you you take like eight lozenges a day, and it's 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 embarrassingly expensive too. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like it actually it's cheaper to smoke, right? It is cheaper to smoke, but yeah, but and you know, I think all of them give you cancer, but it's like I think the the uh, the gum cancer or the lozenge cancer is less. Like I think you know, smoking obviously there's heart disease along mm-hmm. with the lung cancer, right? You're doing the right thing. I'm doing the right thing. <laughs> I'm actually a good person. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, actually, maybe this might be a good time to ask you, um, since you were kind of starting in comedy and acting simultaneously, yeah. do you just think of those as two parts of the same kind of thing, or is there some part of you that's, I'm a comic who acts, or I'm an actor who, who does comedy? Um, it's interesting, because my agent, my acting agent, uh, and, you know, I almost... Because I do have an acting manager and a stand-up manager, Mm -hmm. and I know that sounds insane, but some of it is they are two completely different worlds, Mm -hmm. and 
you know, my acting manager describes it as a bilateral career. Mm-hmm. But, and that's not to say that the comedians aren't good actors, but it is, I do feel like there is, um, there's, I think there's, you know, there's a hesitation with comedians and acting where people just kind of assume that they're going to be more like Seinfeld and kind of crack up halfway through delivering yeah. a line yeah. as opposed to, you know, Jason Alexander's an actor. Mm-hmm. But I I also loved, loved doing both of them and kind of like... Um, because there's, there's some people that know me as a comedian, some people that know me as an actor, more a uh, comedian now, but mm-hmm. but some of it is great because, you know, the whole stand-up lifestyle is is um, exhausting and, um, you know, highly corruptive. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's like, all right, I'm done with my third show in, in um, Addison, Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 2 a.m. There's free beer here. And um, so I'm just going to drink, yeah. you know, for two hours and, you know, bond with uh, the waitstaff, you know right. what I mean? It's like who are in the same boat, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, where that's their weekend. It's Saturday night, one to four. So there's that, and peaking at night is very weird, and then even doing radio and then peaking at night is mm-hmm. weird, as opposed to the acting thing, where at least there's some normalcy, but... Also, you know, the acting thing is so... It's so ridiculously insane. The, uh... The... The randomness of it. Mm-hmm. And, um... You literally are begging for jobs. Yeah. Like, the level of humiliation that exists in acting... I think it's like a hundred times worse than any humiliating moment I've had in stand-up. Wow. Even when I bombed... Mm-hmm. You know, where I've heard, like, a boo. I'm going back ten years ago. (laughs) But it's, like, it's not as bad as, like, you know, some auditions I've been on where it's, like, they give you ten pages where you're supposed to be off book, and then you go into the room, and every actor has the same story. You go in the room, and they go, yeah, we're just doing that one scene. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, one page, and you walk in the room, and, the you know the two people that are uh, you know you're auditioning for look at you and decide no mm-hmm. purely based on how you look and you know it's like it's not even their fault it's like they shouldn't have seen me you know it's like yeah. they're like no we said this guy is Latin it's like well, well <laughs> I just spent like eight hours memorizing these lines <laughs> right. so like that like if I just did acting I would go crazy mm-hmm. uh, you know that's not to say that I'm not crazy but you know, I would be a special kind of crazy. Right. I mean, I don't know. Are you an actor also? No. no. It's insane, you know. So it is kind of this insane pursuit. And I think also comedians, it's like, understandably, they have that attitude of like, yeah, I'd like to act, but I'm not going to go in there and beg for a job when mm-hmm. I'm just going to give it to John Stamos anyway. Because <laughs> right. there's so many opportunities. There's so many times where you're auditioning for something and they just have an offer out there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, when you, I guess the uh, interesting thing is a lot of comics, uh, I mean, you, you have a, a persona on stage, but you're able to do uh, like kind of different roles as an actor and sort of be a character actor, yeah. and somehow, at least so far, 
those two things haven't conflicted at all. You are who you're, Jim Gaffigan on stage, and everyone yeah. understands who that is, and yet you can kind of melt into some performances. Yeah. Uh, is that kind of how you see your career down the well, road? Like that's. I mean, that would be great. You know, I mean, I, um, you know, I, you know, the whole character actor thing is very much. You know, it's not. You know, you're like the. You know. The, the, it's it's character actor is a nice way of saying ugly. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like you usually get some, you know, you, you get some roles that you know you have nothing to do with. Like if you, yeah. you know, you know, a lot of the people that I've played have been like total victims or the dumbest people on earth mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I mean, I would definitely prefer that than you know if. Uh, I was purely cast as a guy who's obsessed with microwavable food. You know <laughs> right, what I mean? Right. Because, like, I, even when I've done sitcoms, I, you know, it's weird because it doesn't feel that much like acting. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like you go out there, the main character is getting an applause break mm-hmm. on every line, right. and then you walk out, and everyone in the stands is like, who's that guy? <laughs> who's that guy? I couldn't hear him. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's. But, you know, working on something like Ed is really fun, yeah, you know? Yeah, That was a really... That's another Burnett show, right? The, yeah. The uh, yeah. David Letterman executive. Yeah. Um, so they just... I mean, that that seems really cool. Like, they know how to use you, it seems like, where they, they kind of find places for you to, to yeah, do stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, it's great. But, you know, there's... You know, there's, uh, you know, plenty of people that have said, hey, we're definitely going to use you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And you sit there and you go, hey, all right, I'm going to be on this show. And they never call you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's right. like, hey, uh, it's just like the opportunity of a lifetime is just constant. Yeah, yeah. And it never happens. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's why, you know, I'm just so grateful that I can, you know, do stand-up and, you know, doing these theaters is, like, amazing. Mm-hmm. It's like doing a theater show where people know who you are. And they're coming to see you, and they they embrace the weirder you get. Mm-hmm. That versus like, you know, um, a late night spot with you know at the Hollywood Improv where there's ten people from Tulsa mm-hmm. that don't even have a television, and you know their notion of comedy is you know uh, what they've heard on the radio you know what I mean I don't know it's yeah, yeah. it's just it's easier but more importantly it's funner yeah you know? when did you start noticing um, that you had like actual fans of your stand up like people who like maybe knew bits like they knew the Hot Pockets thing or something you know I um I you know um I think it was you know I mean, there were definitely people that responded to the manatee mm-hmm. joke, mm-hmm. and when that was on, like, Dr. Katz, so people, you know, were all about, um, do the manatee, you know, like if I was <laughs> in a club in New York, there's, oh, you know, like, I know it's, I know the scene, there's a woman sitting at a table who's really hot, mm-hmm. and she's there with her boyfriend, mm-hmm. and she's like, do the manatee! <laughs> And I remember that was it was kind of like one of those things where people were like, "You're going to be the manatee guy for the rest of your life," yeah. and I'm like, uh, "All right." <laughs> but so I remember, the, but you know, bits and pieces. But I don't, you know, it's it's a very weird thing because I don't think that um, 
the whole notion of fan thing is that's weird. I mean, I just I you know maybe I just view it as a like a comedy nerd mm-hmm. that you know it's like people that like my stuff, like you know, like people that like Patton like his stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't consider themselves you know part of his soldier. <laughs> you know, right. I'm one of his soldiers, <laughs> uh, his fan. You know, right, like, right. I'm getting a Patton Oswalt T-shirt. There's not <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, it's yeah. like. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just there actually might be. Yeah, I guess there are. <laughs> at least the teacher part. But uh, I know what you mean. It's it's they're responding to the content. It's not like a yeah. rock star where you're just uh, yeah in yeah love it's, with the person. Yeah, it's you know, it's not one of those things where. Um, but you know, I I mean, I don't really aspire to uh, be on the cover of People magazine or mm-hmm. TV Guide or anything like that. It's like. It's just, you know, doing stand-up for so long, it's like the fact that people enjoy it and go to the show mm-hmm. is like, that's that's great. That's good enough for yeah, me. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? And I know that might sound insincere, and there are there are plenty of people that are like, I want to be on Sunset Strip. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I want to be, you know, uh, the name that opens a movie. Right, right. You know what I mean? But I just, you know, it's like, the opportunity to do the stuff you like and make money where you don't have to freak out, you know, is yeah. that's pretty sweet. What would be the the ideal? I mean, do, do you have ideas of being able to do your own series again, where it's really your perspective, or a movie where you really get to yeah. be the creative force behind it? Yeah, I mean, you know, I you know, I, I you know, I have you know an idea for a movie, and you know, uh, somebody read it, but. There's also part of me that's like, you know, I, you know, I want to do that, but I also, it's like, you know, I think I'm spoiled too by, you know, stand up. It's like you come up with a new joke and it's like, la la, you know, like mm-hmm. you're so happy. Yeah, yeah. But you can write on a script and write a script and give it to somebody and they can sit on it for like six months. Yeah. Because I, you know, I had a script deal. My wife and I had a script deal at Fox for an animated show and it was just like, you know, again, it's like everyone goes through it, but to me, it was just like, why am I having another meeting with three people that have not yet read the script? Yeah. It just seems insane. Right, right. But, and then also with the TV show, it's like, would I turn it down? Probably not, but um, it does seem like, I look at like the landscape of like television and stuff like that, and I'm like, uh, you know, if you're on one of the four networks, you'd probably be given like a week. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, considering I'm not—I don't look like Rebecca Romaine Stamos or whatever her last name is now. I think it's just Romaine. <laughs> you know, it's like I don't think they give things necessarily a shot. And then even Comedy Central, it's like, which is so good for comedy, but they're—you know—you know, all my friends that have deals there, it's like they're like. This show's got to be huge. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, can you sh- can you be blowing up toilets while you're doing this? <laughs> and they'll be like, well, I'm trying to pitch a talk show. <laughs> blowing up toilets, also. You know what I mean? Like they, there has to be something to really break through the clutter. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like my kind of style of stand up is, you know, it's like more quiet than loud. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I almost wonder if it, if it makes sense in that context. Right. And I, I also like acting, so mm-hmm. it, you know, I'm definitely a control freak, so that there is something that's attractive about 
having my own show. Mm-hmm. And w- that's what's fun about Pale Force is that, you know, for Paul Noth, you know, who created Pale Force, and I, you know, we, we sit down and we write those with my wife and uh, my other brother-in-law mm-hmm. who does the music on there, Patrick Noth. And, you know, it's like, that's pretty fun. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where it's like, we do it, and then, it, and then you know, Paul does you know, 90% of the, <laughs> you know, he does all the animations. <laughs> right, it's right. Like, we write it, and then I do the voices, and then Paul works for yeah. a week nonstop. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right. And, uh, but, like, that's very attractive. Yeah. And, but it's weird, because, you know, I think, you know, there was a, uh, an adult swim kind of, you know, they kind of flirted with us, and it's, but it's one of those things where, you know, it's like, they're like, how about this? You get your own show, and we'll give you a nickel. And you're like, <laughs> why would I do it for a nickel? And they're like, because, hey, hey, you want your own show? And I'm like, yeah. I don't know if I want, you know, for a nickel. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm barely hanging out with my kids as it is. Right, right. But there is something, you know, you know, Paul even says, he's like, we could do the best show, uh, on Adult Swim, and I know that everyone listening to ASD is like, no, they couldn't. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, it's like, it is one of those things where I wouldn't want to do something that, you know, I've been very lucky. I haven't done really, you know, and I've done a lot of commercials, but I really haven't done anything that's really embarrassing, mm-hmm. which means that I'm about to do something really embarrassing. Mm-hmm. But do you know what I mean? Like some, you know, it's like, you know, even a lot of the, like, the really bad kind of sitcoms, it's like, those guys aren't that bad. It's just mm-hmm. that they're in kind of, like, this tired form. Yeah. And they're kind of like, what do I get, 80 grand a week to just go in and yeah. tell some family-type jokes? Right. It's like, you know, I don't really aspire for that. But it seems like the sitcoms and the commercials, at least... Uh at least they let you kind of be you if yeah. there's no better way of going of like of the role like you know I saw yeah. I was watching a clip of you on your site uh, from like Hope and Faith or what was that yeah, show yeah, called yeah yeah that yeah that was called Hope and Faith <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know and you were an anger management counselor yeah, or something yeah. and it was just you you know being funny and it wasn't yeah. like it could have they could have cast somebody else but they got you and you got to sort of be yeah, yeah. funny Jim Gaffigan so that's not a bad gig no, that's not a bad gig, but you don't know, mm-hmm. you know, until you get on the set, right? How they're gonna um, have you do anything? I mean, I know somebody who worked on this show that was supposedly all improvised, mm-hmm. and he said that you know the guy, you know, or one of the producers used to feed him these horrible lines <laughs> <laughs> that he would have to do. Yeah, yeah. and I was like, because you know, and it goes back to like you know stand up. You know, we're very spoiled by it. You yeah. know what I mean? But then mm-hmm. again, it's, you know, working on a sitcom's not the worst day job in the world. And people are like, you, you know, the irony of, like, commercials is, like, people are like, you sold out, man. Bill Hicks <laughs> said that advertisers <laughs> should kill themselves. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no. And I was there, and I saw him say it and all this stuff. Yeah. But it's like, would, it, would I rather uh, work for a week? For Pepsi, comp- you know, the mm-hmm. Pepsi Corporation, have fun with Michael Ian Black and Tracy Morgan, or should I be like, uh, you know, a temp, right, in, in the Pepsi corporate <laughs> office? I mean, <laughs> right. which one's worse, yeah. you know? And yeah. and you know, they do let us kind of have fun mm-hmm. doing those things. So, yeah. um, let's. I wanted to go back and talk about your stand-up a little, just okay. in terms of. Uh, 
how you developed your voice um, or voices, I guess. Um, yeah. How where did you were you sort of always doing a version of what you do now, like from the beginning, or did it take you a while to figure out this is how I want to tell jokes? Yeah, I think it took a while. I mean, you know, because as I mentioned with um, Greg Giraldo, we kind of started around the same time, mm-hmm. and um, the interesting thing is, is that like. I think that Greg kind of um, a big influence on him initially was Brian Regan, mm-hmm. and then for me a big influence was uh, Attell. Mm-hmm. And um, the irony is, is, I probably ended up closer to Brian Regan. He ended up closer to Attell, mm-hmm. and that just kind of shows how like people do go through, you know, different kind of. Um, you know, like your style, and the audience will kind of tell you. You know what I mean? Like yeah. people are like, um, they'll be like, "Why don't you curse? Why don't you talk about more irreverent things and yeah. stuff like that?" And some of it is, it's you know, with the audience, you know, the relationship with the audience, mm-hmm. and also some of it is I do talk about these mundane things, mm-hmm. like Dimitri does. Mm-hmm. And if you're talking about something truly mundane, like recycling or a piece of cake, mm-hmm. it can't be following, uh, you know, a blowjob joke. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, they're like, hey, wait a minute, why don't you go back to the other topic? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't feel like talking about recycling. Yeah, yeah. So, but there was definitely, you know, I mean, I definitely had um, dirtier material, and then, you know, I did a lot of... I didn't do a lot of, but I used to do some impressions and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But it's uh, it's kind of changed along the way. And then the the inside voice is um, something that I think that you know I got from doing the Lower East Side, um, those performing places, mm-hmm. and um, and you know some of it is the. Uh, uh, you know, it's like you learn all these rules of comedy, you know, and then you kind of throw them away or you, you fight against them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you'll see that, like, even with, like, you know, it, it, with really successful, good comedians. I mean, I wouldn't do this, but sometimes they'll go out and they'll piss off the audience mm-hmm. so that they can get them back. Yeah. yeah. And... um so it's like, and one of the things, you know, like the whole apologizing for a joke or like bailing on a joke is a bit of a a taboo, not like a bad taboo, like laughing at your own joke or mm-hmm. anything like that, but it's a bit of kind of, it's a sign of weakness to the audience. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't something that would work all the time. And it doesn't work in, you know, like when I do like a corporate in front of like, you know, 400 stockbrokers that, mm-hmm. you know, are more interested in going to a titty bar. Mm-hmm. They're not interested in the inside voice at all. <laughs> but, uh, they don't want another, like, they don't want a subtext to what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, they're like, yeah. let's get to some, you know, meat and potatoes. Yeah. You know, and preferably, uh, it'll be dirty, mm-hmm. and it'll involve kind of like the lowest common denominator that uh, men all, all share. And so, um, or maybe it's, I mean, part of the that inside voice is you're kind of projecting yeah. something onto the audience, like sort of this is what you're thinking. Yeah, <laughs> maybe guys like that don't want to uh, be uh, have their heads examined that way. Like, don't yeah. tell me what I'm thinking about your comedy. Well, there, there are some people that, um, and, and I think it's interesting. Sometimes when I do the inside voice, if there is somebody that's unfamiliar with me, 
in the audience, like if I'm doing a spot in the city or something, there will be somebody that will kind of, you know, it'll usually be a, an older woman, mm -hmm. and she'll think that I'm just making fun of her. Like she, <laughs> the, the true narcissism in her will come, come out, and she'll be like, "This guy's talking about me." <laughs> <laughs> you know, even though, like, you know, the inside voice, you know, swings from, you know, a conservative point of view to, like, uh, a culturally elitist point of view, mm -hmm. it's... And also maybe to a crazy, yeah. like, a crazy person. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's... But it is, um, it is something that's fun that, uh, to see how people react. And it also keeps the show pretty organic because there is always something that, you know, the inside voice can can comment on. Mm -hmm. you know. do, you, do you find yourself, or, or do you get mad at yourself sometimes if you feel like you're using it to kind of bail yourself out, or is it is it just nice to have? It is, it is, um, well, it is one of those things, and some of it is, you know, going back to, like, the audience will allow you to do certain things, mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, you'll think of, like, someone, like, um, I'm trying to think of, like, you know, really, really likable um, comedians can say anything mm -hmm. and get away with it, mm -hmm. and you know, and I think Chris Rock's one of those guys. He's he's very likable, and he'll say things that like you might be like, uh, you know, what that's kind of dicky. But you know, from Chris <laughs> Rock, it's like you know what, you know what, he uh, he's fearless, and he yeah. probably has a point to it, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so sometimes if I do come close to a line. Uh, you know, or if I do, like, you know, it's like, it's just this thing where it's like I'm letting the audience know also I'm watching myself. Like, mm -hmm. if I do two jokes that have, like, uh, that could be construed as uh, possibly homophobic, mm -hmm. it's like, this guy's homophobic. He's probably hiding the fact he's gay. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, it disarms them that, yeah. there, you know, there is a certain awareness. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's I mean that's interesting about stand up though. It's like sometimes comedians get up there and I don't think they realize to like the certain demographic of the audience that that, you know, you gotta be aware that like they they look at you and you might look like their boss or mm -hmm. you might look like you know you know, somebody that they would not want to hang around with. <laughs> right, right. And so acknowledging that kinda helps them come to the party a little yeah. bit. I yeah, think. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, going back to, I thought it was really interesting that you sort of started out modeling yourself, maybe subconsciously after uh, Dave Attell. Yeah. Do, you, do you think that um, when you said that, it occurred to me maybe when you start out, you're trying, you're, you're trying to be something you're not, maybe because you, it's the, you see somebody who's very different from you, and it's impressive because it's different, and so you're kind of striving for that, and then it takes you a few years to come back around to like figuring out who you actually are and being okay with that. Yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, it's, I think it's interesting cause it almost brings up a larger issue, which is, I think that, um, I think a lot of comedians do have like kind of like conflicting identities mm -hmm. to, you know, whether it be kind of like the rough and tumble drunk <laughs> when really they're from, you know, a nice family in the suburbs mm -hmm. or, you know, uh, or kind of, um, you know, this outspoken person who's very intellectual, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I think to the whole thing about Attell, you know, when I was starting, you know, Attell was this, you know, he was a bit, I mean, 
the the volume of material that he was creating, and you know, I, you know, I, I mean, some of it. This is how I perceived it. I don't know if it was necessarily the case, but like when Attell and Louis C.K. and Todd Berry and Mark Marin, they were doing something kind of different in New York because there was these the kind of like, hey, nice shirt lady mm-hmm. kind of comedians that were, they were yeah. getting the good spots at the cellar, yeah. or they were doing kind of like the, the 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 stunt kind of equivalent of like, let's hear it for the troops. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That kind of stuff. Yeah. And, um, and Kevin Brennan also. And um, so I think that what I saw in like Attell and Kevin Brennan is that it was like I really admired like his efficiency and also like the fact that the joke could exist on its own. And I think Louie does this too. And and Todd too. It's like Todd takes his sweet ass time. Mm-hmm. And also they have um you know, it's like even if you hate me, mm-hmm. you'll like this joke. <laughs> right. I mean that's some of the Atel formula. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like uh, is that the joke could, is undeniable? I remember yeah. Mattel saying that you know, you, you know, that's one of the beauties of stand-up is you, you get to a point of undeniability. Mm-hmm. You know, these comedy club owners, they come around. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what? Hey, sorry, buddy. I know I was really condescending and dismissive to you for <laughs> ten years, but now I'm your buddy. Right. Right. So, um, but that was one. But you know, the whole thing of like wanting to be like another comic. I think that I don't know if it's you know I don't know if it's an unconscious thing of that. I do think that like it's a pretty large task of of uh, transferring what makes you funny with your friends and family mm-hmm. on stage, mm-hmm. and I think that there's a lot of funny people that if they can't get it on stage, mm-hmm. or they are just funny for such a small. Uh, such a narrow group of people. Yeah. So, um, but Attell, yeah, he was definitely, I mean, I think the, the, the thing that, you know, the, the undeniability of a joke, but also the the utter efficiency of the writing, mm-hmm. where it was not kind of, um, you know, and, and it kind of fits like the New York City attention span. Like, you got ten minutes, there's four people that went on before you, you could tell a long story mm-hmm. of how uh, Cheney shot somebody in the face and make it humorous and folksy and stuff like that, mm-hmm. or, or you know, but but um, if you have ten minutes, you could also just machine gun yeah. the 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 jokes and the point of view and and kind of like instead of going for the home run at the end, you know, you go for like four singles mm-hmm. and a triple. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So, and I think that that's something that Attell does. I mean, that's not to say that like great storytellers like Chappelle and Louis aren't you know great at that. You yeah, know? I mean, it's mm-hmm. just yeah. So you, I mean, you really uh, consider yourself like kind of from the school of uh, you know writing great jokes and then sort of letting them carry you. I mean, you have a lot of obviously performance elements yeah. to your act, but um, but it is. It is predominantly like here are the jokes, and yeah. now here I'm going to kind of give you some byplay in between them. Yeah, well, I think that there's, you know, I, I remember I discussed this with, uh, you know, because I nerded up, you know, comedians <laughs> nerded up talking yeah. about this stuff, and yeah. 
and Todd Glass and I, you know, I don't know if uh, he'd even remember this, but we had this, I think we were both, you know, kind of not, uh, you know, totally there, but we were talking about how, you know, you, you know, there's the observational comic, there's the clown comic, there's the uh, social satirist, and, um, you know, two others that I'm not thinking of, uh, the preacher, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? But you have to be able to do two of them really well mm-hmm. to be a good comedian. Because if you're just one of them, mm-hmm. you know, you're a boring 80s observational guy, kind of like, my cat mm-hmm. is... Uh, you ever notice that cats do this, you know? Or the, the preacher that is just kind of like... Should just be a preacher, <laughs> right? right? Like, right. they're not funny, but they're... Uh, they can whirl up an audience. Mm-hmm. And then the clown that is just like silly and and more or less tap dancing Mm -hmm. you know but Todd's point was that you know you know combining two of those things is what makes you know a comedian I think a comedian that comedians like to watch yeah and that's why like someone like Brian Regan Mm -hmm. you know he's got this incredible performance and energy and uh, silliness you know and I also think weird is a great one Mm -hmm. you know just like weird point of view like whether it's Hedberg or Dimitri right and uh, but combining those is what makes you know a comedian that I think people are appealing. So did did you consciously uh, sort of? I mean, I'm sure you had that conversation yeah. after you had already kind of established yourself and figured out who you were. But um, is it, I think it, I think Todd and I were congratulating <laughs> yeah. each other on being the uh, weird observational guy, right. essentially. Well, and it's true. Like yeah. both of you do have that. Uh, those two sides where you you might think, oh, okay, so this is what this guy does, but yeah. then there's like some other like for you, it's that yeah. s- subversive sort of uh, you know sur- almost surreal element uh, coming out of nowhere yeah. uh, after a straightforward observational joke, and and for him, you know, it's just like the crazy. You never know where it's going to crack. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but um, but so that's just something that you kind of subconsciously developed over time, or. I, I, you know, I think that, um, yeah, I guess so. I mean, it was not, like, planned out, kind of, like, part of this, part of that. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that, I do think that your, you know, environment plays a lot into that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, if, and, you know, environment, whether it's a showcase environment like Largo or something like that, I think those showcase environments are really good for comics because then you you can't do like you know there there might be three other guys with you know four guys ahead of you that are going to deal with some topic. Mm-hmm. If you guys happen to hit on the same topic, you better be going a different way. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, and also like if you go on late at night or if you go on in front of a room that just wants dick jokes, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think that you're going to be able to develop, you know, you know, uh, you know, an eccentric point of view. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for well, thank you. sitting down with me. Uh, it's been fun. Um, I guess you're doing, so you're doing the will turn Saturday night, right? Saturday night. And then where do you go after that? Um, I don't know. You know, I I think um, you know uh, Tampa, mm-hmm. 
in Indianapolis on December 1st, and then um, I've got like some corporates. i got Ohio State on Monday, mm-hmm. and I think there's another college in there. I guess we can just say check out jimgaffigan.com. Yeah. I'm going to be doing that uh, Comedy Central tour starting in January. Oh, cool. Okay. So we'll look for that. And there's Working for the man again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, Pale Force is on NBC.com, right? Slash Pale Force. Yeah. Okay. And also probably accessible through your website. I don't know if legally I can do that, but yeah, it is, <laughs> it is on there. <laughs> okay. Um, great. Well, uh, thanks again. Thank you. And uh, you guys uh, at home, we'll uh, see you next time. Until then, we'll see you on the board.